Back chat. Back chat. Back chat. Politics and current affairs. Backpack. Back chat. Back chat. Your alternative to talk back. Yes, indeed. You are listening to Backchat here on FBI Radio, the freshest wrap of news and current affairs. I'm Swetha Das. And I'm Shami Siv Subramanian. And as always, we're going to give you the news you haven't heard on your airwaves. Some big news for FBI Radio this week. Our station is turning 17 years old. And what better way to celebrate than listening to some of the biggest tunes from 2003? That's right. So stick around to hear some major throwbacks. But before that, we've got a uni special on the show today. Today, we'll be discussing university fee hikes, hex changes, job cuts, and wage theft. First up, we have Lincoln Aspinall from the National Union of Students, and then we'll be chatting to Alison Barnes from the National Tertiary Education Union. And we want to hear from you, whether you're a student, a casual academic, a grad, or didn't bother with it at all. What are your thoughts on the changes to our uni? Join in on the conversation and text us in on 0409 945 945 or tweet us at Backchat FBI. It is absolutely laughable. The woman's off her tree. Backchat, your alternative to talk back. So did you know what you wanted to do when you finished year 12? It's totally normal for students like me who spiralled into a deep existential crisis to not know what their future holds on their first day of uni. But that's now about to change. That's right. The Morrison government has announced a plan to remove hex access for uni students who fail multiple subjects. This could leave students with a massive bill or no other choice than to drop out of their courses. We actually spoke to some students earlier in the week and asked them for their thoughts on the proposed hex changes. Take a listen. I'm Kira from Amy Plains and I believe that this will have a terrible effect on the mental health of a lot of students and it may also discourage a lot of people from continuing their degrees. I'm Olivia from Erskine Park. This is so discriminative towards uh, the students that are low socioeconomic and English as a second language. They already struggle so much to keep up with the middle class standards that university is taught at. Mm, yeah, look, that is rough and they make some good points. To explain these changes further, we're joined by Lincoln Aspinall from the National Union of Students. Hi, Lincoln. Thanks for joining us. Hi, thanks so much for having me on this morning. Our pleasure. So we've heard from some students about the proposed hex changes. Are you surprised by their reactions? No, I'm really not. You know, obviously this reform package is really all about cost recovery and implementing austerity measures from this government um, throughout COVID-19. And unfortunately, their regard towards supporting young people within this bill just isn't reflected. So the proposal will affect first-year students who have failed more than half of their full-time course load. But there are other concerns about people um, who are facing these um, situations, right? Especially disadvantaged by the systemic barriers uh, like racism, classism, ableism. Uh, Do you think uh, they'll be affected even more by these changes? Yeah, 100%. So obviously the changes that you're talking about is the removal of HEX help places to academically struggling students. And there's a couple of points I'd like to touch on there specifically. Um, It's a great example of where the government has a complete attitudinal problem towards struggling students. And as you rightly pointed out, you know, students are just too lazy to maintain their grades. What we're seeing is an unprecedented level of stress and pressure being put upon young people, particularly in this global pandemic. So for students like Indigenous students or from a low socioeconomic background from regional areas, these are the people that will be most statistically proven to 
academically underperform in their career. So it's really just not good enough for the government to cast away these students to the side. And as you mentioned, it's just an elitist policy. And what about students who simply take longer to find their feet? Should we be punishing them based on their first year? No, exactly right. So there's people that come into the university system from 17 or they might enter at 35. Everyone's experience is largely very varied. So for the government to try and homogenise the experience and expect a certain level of performance straight off the bat, um, again, can create a lot of issues, particularly with just the amount of stress and pressure that's being applied to someone that needs to continue to work and to support themselves financially. They might be a primary caregiver, for example, and then they need to also maintain their grades after the fact. So this punitive approach towards learning is just completely incorrect. So, Lincoln, there are some exemptions like illness and bereavement, but do you think some students might fall through the cracks? Yeah, definitely. So obviously the government's come out and announced that special consideration can be applied in certain circumstances um, that'll be assessed by the university. But unfortunately, in my experience as a student leader, um, I've seen just too many times where universities have unfortunately failed to deliver the correct result for students. So often these institutions are put under incredible time and financial pressures, which means that that human passion that's really required to deal with the cases often just doesn't exist. And um, having a reliance on that university to decide whether or not a student keeps their hex place just represents a bit of a power shift really between um, the accessibility and equity of the higher education system and the, the direction that it's moving. You're listening to Backchat on FBI Radio 94.5 FM with Swetha and Shami. We're speaking with Lincoln Aspinall from the National Union of Students about the Morrison government's proposed hex reforms. And we've asked people to join in on the conversation. You can text us in on 0409-945-945 or tweet us at Backchat FBI about what you know what you think of this conversation. And Someone texted in and said, police shut down our rally at Sydney University yesterday. How are we supposed to go about protesting these changes? So it seems they're referring to the education rally yesterday where people were protesting against fee hikes and staff cuts. And they make a good point there, Lincoln. How else are students and staff expected to protest these changes? Yeah, fantastic. Obviously, first of all, the first thing I'd say in that is that we need to be maintaining the pressure on top of this government to not pass this legislation, but doing it in a way that is obviously COVID safe. And what I saw yesterday was quite a marked response by the police there at University of Sydney and the students that stood up um, in favour of the legislation should be commended for that. Um, We need as many people on top of this as possible. Um, With the re-emergence of protesting and activism as we come out of the COVID situation. Um, I'm really looking forward to these types of rallies continuing um, to build and to to increase the pressure upon this government because there's thousands of young people that are going to enter the university system in 2021 and beyond who are going to be slogged with 113% um, increases to their fees. They're going to have reduction of overall funding contributions by the government to areas like maths and environmental science and yeah, as we've spoken about, some students will actually unfortunately lose their hex help places. So we need as many young people engaged and ready to fight for a higher education um, because it is a right and not a privilege and this government is unfortunately treating it as though some people are, are more better off and should deserve it more than others. What about remote learning during the pandemic? Do you think that'll have an effect on failure rates at universities? Yes, yeah, it's, it's probably um, a little bit difficult to map out the way that remote learning will impact 
at the moment. Um, but what we just need to be focused on is universities applying a compassionate and equitable approach towards the assessment of students. So in semester one, universities were actually very good at implementing policies that went towards preventing students from failing. But we need this to continue, um, and particularly in areas like Victoria, where there's hundreds of thousands of students across many universities, and they're also basically just locked at home. Uh, so universities need to take that into consideration and realise that not only are we dealing with the, the normal stresses of being a young person and trying to maintain our living situation, we're dealing with over 16% youth unemployment rates and we're dealing with, you know, we're still in a global pandemic. Look, you make a great point there. Shouldn't we focus more on preventing students from failing in the first place? Yeah, yeah, exactly right. So this this should be a proactive, um, equitable approach towards academic learning, and uh, I guess like that's where the government needs to stand, step up and really take a, a structural approach towards the way that we can prevent people from learning, rather than this sort of this stick approach and and bearing down upon them. Um, they need to actually publicly invest into higher education and provide the resources that are required to put their arm around people that are in more vulnerable situations and are more likely to drop off within that higher education space. So between these proposals and the fee hikes for non-STEM degrees, some students who can't afford to pay for uni upfront will be locked out of an education. So what are the long-term impacts of this and who will we end up seeing on campuses? Yeah, so what this reform does really is it just interferes with the natural supply and demand that we're used to within the university system. So the government's really saying to anyone that is passionate about going into the arts next year, um, you know, don't do that. We don't want people going into the arts because they don't see it as a job-ready field. And that's just a completely incorrect um, assumption. And what they're trying to do is get more people to go into STEM and then to, to incentivise people to go into careers that they supposedly see as job-ready. Um, first and foremost, I just reject that premise. I don't think that is um, a good thing that we should be promoting. But what this will do over time is it just ends up locking out students that can't afford to pay for the things that they're actually passionate about. Um, and it's really a, a college-style US model where the people that pay the most will eventually succeed the most. And personally, I believe that education should be free and that no student should have to pay to receive that tuition, particularly it shouldn't be gate-kept by conservative leaders within this government that when they received an education, they didn't have to pay for it. Okay, so lastly, where can students go for help if they're struggling financially or with their studies? Um, there's a num- number of different areas. They should definitely reach out to their student union on campus. They should try and get involved with as, um, you know, as many support services they can find online. Um, but the, the biggest thing to maintain is, um, I guess, like the social connection within their their, 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 their groups and making sure that they don't drop, drone, drop off within the COVID period. Um, it's an incredibly difficult time at the moment and we're speaking with a lot of people within the NUS that um, are struggling, particularly international students who might be unable to get back home. Um, their financial capacity there has been limited. So, you know, we're proud of the work that we've done to, to secure youth income um, supplement payments to young people but you know the government needs to stand up and make sure that that continues after September and that young people are not left behind in the COVID response. Thank you for all the work that you're doing Lincoln and thank you for speaking with us on the show today. No worries thanks again for the opportunity.
That was Lincoln Aspinall, Education Officer at the National Union of Students, explaining what the proposed HEX reform will mean for uni students. But don't turn that dial. We're chatting to Alison Barnes from the NTEU Next about uni staff cuts and wage theft claims. But first up, here's a banger from 2003 to celebrate FBI Radio's 17th birthday. Oh, I love this song. I love I'm already dancing. <laughs> this is Jets. Are you going to be my girl? It is absolutely laughable. The woman's off her tree. Backchat, your alternative to talk back. It's been revealed that some Australian universities are involved in wage theft, with some underpayments stretching back a whole decade. The revelation comes as unis face big financial losses from coronavirus, causing massive staff cuts and an increasingly casualised workforce. We're joined by Alison Barnes, President of the National Tertiary Education Union, to give us the rundown on the issues faced by uni staff. Thank you for being with us today, Alison. Fantastic. Thanks for having me. So we've seen wage theft, job cuts and a growing casualisation of the workforce. Uh, What impacts have these had on university staff? Look, universities are facing a perfect storm. We've had the casualisation of the workforce happening for, for many years. But we're looking at, you know, 70, between 50 and 70% of undergraduate teaching being performed across our universities by people who have no employment security. So this has a really detrimental effect on the people who perform that work. They don't have a guarantee or security of income. And that chronic uncertainty means that it's difficult to pay rent, to know if you'll have work next semester. Um, and, you know, that, that means that it's difficult to plan to take a modest holiday or, as I said, pay rent or, or perform, you know, many of the functions that many people in secure work take for granted. So it's a really difficult situation for the people who work insecurely or on precarious kind of employment uh, contracts. But it's also really difficult for students because in my experience, having taught first-year university students for many years, students like to have familiar faces. They like to be able to go back to the people who taught them in their first years or throughout their time at university and ask for you know, references if they're applying for jobs, if they're struggling with particular issues. They like to have uh, people that they can turn to. And if much of that teaching is, is done by people who have no employment security, it can be difficult for, you know, for their, those people may not be there for them to talk to. So there's casualisation and casualisation uh, undermines uh, universities' ability to perform their core functions, and that is, you know, things like academic freedom that you can speak freely about your research to your students, or in, in things that you publish. So there's casualisation, which also, as you know, gives rise to issues like wage theft. You know, it's much more difficult for casual pe- for people who are employed casually to enforce their employment rights. They're often chronically uh, insecure or fearful that if they raise issues that it will work against them and they won't be re-employed by the universities that they work for. So there's casualisation and all of those problems. Then there's the problem of COVID-19 and it hit universities really early and really hard and its effects will be felt for, for, for many, many years to come much longer than it will be across other industries. So as you said, we're looking at enormous job losses across the sector. In the next six to 12 months, we're looking at 30,000 people who work across our universities losing their jobs. So they're people who should be in classrooms teaching, who should be providing pastoral care or support for students, 
or developing, you know, cures for diseases like COVID-19. And mm. instead of being in our universities, you know, working with students, these people are going to be standing on in unemployment queues. And so we're faced with, you know, casualisation, job losses, and a federal government who is essentially has abandoned um, Australian universities and Australian students. So let's discuss wage theft first. Just how rife is it in the university sector? Look, from we recently, we've been campaigning for, for many years around the wage theft issue. And in August this year, well, this month, we've conducted a survey of it amongst our casuals. And it looks like, unsurprisingly, wage theft is common right across. Australian universities, there are there's anecdotal evidence that it's that it's pretty common across basically all of our universities, which is absolutely an appalling situation. Some of the country's biggest unis will now appear before a Senate inquiry to explain their role in underpaying staff. So why is an investigation taken so long when some underpayments are overdue by like a decade? Look, it's a complicated issue. As I said, it's really difficult to get people to come forward and talk about wage theft because of the insecure nature uh, which they're, by which they're employed. So people, as I said, are often really, really fearful of complaining or raising issues. When I worked at a university that had examples of wage theft, we had many, many casuals who came and said, I was the branch president um, at that uni at this point in time. We had many, many casuals who came and spoke to me about wage theft, but as I said, because of how they're employed, they're really reluctant to raise it because um, they're scared that they won't be employed next semester. You're listening to Backchat on FBI Radio 94.5 FM with Swetha and Shami. We're speaking with Alison Barnes from the NTEU about staff cuts and wage theft in higher education. Now, some unis like UNSW and Macquarie Uni are now repaying staff who are underpaid. But what can people do if they think they've been underpaid and their uni isn't making repayments? Look, they should always contact the union. They should contact the National Tertiary Education Union. They should seek advice for us, and we will always do what we can to support them. I think it's really important that that casuals and staff across uh, universities join um, their union because we are the most effective protection they have against wage theft, our ability to hold um, employers and university management to account. So we need everyone to join and we need people to raise the issues with us when um, when they're aware of them. There is strength in numbers if we act together, if we stand together to combat a wage theft. I think that's the only effective solution. We also need, however, uh, groups like you know the federal government to, to come to the party and make things like union union rights of entry easier so that we can get in and see what's happening. We need university management to keep accurate employment records so we can go back and look for evidence of uh, wage theft. So we've also seen job cuts, almost 500 at UNSW and at least 450 from Melbourne Uni. What's behind these losses? Uh, Look, as I said earlier, COVID-19 has hit the sector really early and really hard. So we've seen swathes of employees losing their job. The figures that aren't captured in that are the the waves of of casuals who bore the brunt, the early brunt of COVID-19. So COVID-19 has had a really detrimental impact on university finances. They're looking... The the, the estimates um, 
differ, but they're looking at losing around $4 billion because of the loss in international student income. $10 billion has been ripped out of um, Australian universities in the last decade. And universities have come to rely on uh, income from international student fees. Now, when international students have been unable to enter the country and commence their studies, this has mean that you, this means that university finances have taken a really big hit. And so universities are looking at ways to, I suppose, cut costs and save monies and, and weather the crisis that COVID has created um, for them. And... This, this means that many of them are seeking to, 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 to fire people and get rid of staff. And this is why we really need the federal government to step in and provide a lifeline or a rescue package to our universities. The, as I said, the federal government has been missing in action and has essentially abandoned Australian universities and their students and is letting us weather the, the, the crisis that's been created by COVID-19 um, alone. And this is having a terrible impact on, on staff and students across the sector. There's a lot of educational reform affecting students and staff at the moment. Is there a solution to any of this? Look, I think, as I said earlier, um, I think that the key is the government stepping in and providing a lifeline rescue package for, for Australian universities. We're our third or fourth, depending on what figures you look at, biggest export um, industry. We play a vital role in developing cures for COVID-19, for developing new technologies. And the government is really starving the sector of funds which is undermining its ability to perform its core functions of teaching and research. So we really need the, the federal government to step in and provide an effective um, and desperately needed rescue package for the sector. They're introducing the Jobs Graduate Ready Package um, as we speak, but this has really detrimental impacts for staff and for students. If you look at the costs for degrees, for many degrees they rise, whereas the, the resources providing provided for, for teaching, those result, uh, teaching those degrees and um, supporting students often declines. It's an absolutely terrible package that fundamentally reshapes the architecture of our universities and I think it's really to the detriment of students who will be saddled with much higher um, much higher debts and staff whose workloads will increase. Now when staff's workloads, and believe me staff are already working beyond and above the, the call, when staff workloads blow out even further that undermines their capacity to provide the, the individual care and attention that students often need. Let's hope that the sector really does get the much-needed help that it so desperately needs. Thank you so much for being on the show. Thanks so much for having me. Fantastic. Thanks for having me. Bye. Bye-bye. That was President of NTEU, Alison Barnes, talking about uni staff cuts and underpayment. Next up, we're doing a quiz with our producer, Millie Roberts, to celebrate FBI Radio's 17th birthday. So stay tuned. That's happening right after this. It is absolutely laughable. The woman's off her tree. Back chat, your alternative to talk back. Can you believe on this day, 17 years ago, FBI blessed our airwaves 
for the first time. To celebrate the station's birthday, we're throwing it back to Bratz Dolls and Brittany with a 2003 music quiz. Our producer Millie is in the studio to see if we know these naughty hits. Hey Mills. <laughs> naughty uh, hits. I said that way too creepily. Naughty I'm so hits. sorry. Okay. <laughs> okay, sorry. Happy birthday, FBI. So guys, I'm going to play a couple of seconds of the songs. You're only going to hear them once. Are you ready? Yeah, I'm ready. I'm, All right. I'm ready. Let's Hang go. with the artist and the title. Three, two, one. Maybe make that a bit louder. Hold on. Let's play that. Let's blast it. Okay, All let's right. blast it. Okay, I guess you get another go. Why is it that you just... What? That's what? what? You can't play four seconds. <laughs> yes, you can. can. That's perfectly did we fine. The rules Three, yes, we did. we did. Three, you... two, one. Lose control every time you... This is R. Control. Kelly something, right? Nelly? Nelly something. Tom, I don't know. You do not. No. How can you not? I was I'm like really two into that. Well, it's not Christina. I don't know. Wait, you tell song. us the name? Just tell us. Look, we lost okay. that one. Tell us the next <laughs> one. <laughs> it was the famous song Shut Up by Buster Oh, Kings. what? Oh my God, how did I not know that? How did you not? I don't, how did know. I don't know. I don't shut know. up. Just shut up. Yeah, shut maybe up. if she up. played <laughs> that bit. But that's the whole point of the quiz. <laughs> yeah, right, right. okay. It's supposed to be easy. We're right. supposed to be challenged. Oh, look, I, I, let's I, I jump. Let's have... jump to another song. Okay, let's, let's jump to another song. Three, okay. two, one. Oh, crazy love. Crazy love. Jay-Z. Got it. Congratulations. I know we've got time probably for one more. Great So this might be a challenge. I don't know. I didn't know it, but you guys are slightly older than me. Three. Ouch. Three. Two and one. Okay, Shami, there's like a light in her eyes. And yeah, keep going. Yeah. Let's get there. I don't remember. Come on. Oh, angels brought me here. It's yeah. boys to men. Yeah. Boys to men. No. Oh, fuck. Boys to men. <laughs> a bit more local than that. Some would say oh. an oh, idol uh, for guy, some. Guy Sebastian. Why an Australian idol. Shannon Guy Noel. Sebastian. No, it was Guy Sebastian. Sebastian. Oh. And he just <laughs> brought me like, away. Why did I think it Wait, an, an icon to us is Shannon Noel. How dare you? It's Shannon Noel. I'm on team Shannon Noel. Oh, that's no. I was like, Guy, Guy deserved that. He got that. He deserved it. Well, thank you for having me on. I think that's all we've got time <laughs> I, for today. I wish I could thank you for having me on. <laughs> that, was, that was painful. Oh, wow. No, that was fun. <laughs> I, I feel vindicated. By the end of it, I was vindicated. So I'm good. Oh, so good. Okay. Those hits really take me back. But um, unfortunately, that's all the time we've got for the show today. Another big thanks to our producers, Natalie Sekolovska, Eden Faithful, Millie Roberts, Vanessa Lim, and Nicole Ilya Goyeva. And thanks again to our guests, Lincoln Aspinall and Alison Barnes. We'll catch you next week. But before we do, we've got another hit from 2003. We're not going to make you guess what the song is like Millie did (laughs) with four seconds. We're going to play the full song. Um, The song's about um, Shami. It is about (laughs) me. Kelly Clarkson's Miss Independent. Have a lovely weekend, guys, and happy 17th birthday, FBI Radio.